I invite you to find your seat. We're going to move to our time of scripture reading and the message for the day. Um, it's a part of a series of difficult sayings of Jesus, um, and today is another doozy. So I invite uh, E.B. now to come up for the scripture reading from the Gospel of Luke. Today's reading is Luke 12, 49 through 53. It can be found on page 962 in the Bible next to your seat, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, at what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The word of the Lord. Will you join me in prayer as we begin? God of grace, as we come into this room, and some of us come maybe wondering still why we're here and whether we belong at all. Um, We come from so many different journeys. Some of us come, we're glad. This is a part of a long journey of getting to know you, and and you've never been more real. Others of us come with doubt. Others of us come with with questions and uh, not really being able to picture ourselves ever in the place where these folks are standing up here. Um, never being able to picture ourselves singing some of the words that we saw on the screen this morning. Others of us come, and life has been just a raw experience that might be described as dark or as a trial or as just extremely sad. And there's an openness to you and a hope that we have in you that we haven't felt before. We're looking for comfort. Wherever we come from this morning, God, I pray that as we continue in this series of difficult sayings of your son Jesus, that you would, you would meet us in this time with your grace, that all of us might see that the truth about our, ourselves is that despite all these different backgrounds and places this morning, we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. None of us has our lives together the way we'd hope to say we do, and all of us need your grace. And that's exactly what you provide us. You move towards us with your grace, often when we're running away from you. Would you speak to us this morning through that kind of grace now, in this time, in such a way that our lives might be changed? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, one time... uh I was driving through Napa Valley with my wife and we got to this place called Calistoga which you know I didn't really know much about and they have there's bottled water right that says Calistoga on it pretty sure it comes from there but what I found in my brief uh, kind of passing through Calistoga was that this is, a, this is a hub for something very important. Some of you I know, I'm sure, go up there all the time for this. Mud baths. Mud baths. Which is a little bit of an oxymoron, it seems like, right? A mud bath. Um, I, I'm going to go 
to Calistoga and get a mud bath someday, just purely because I have a whole, it's like a whole setup for a joke for me that I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to walk in and the woman's going to have the room set up and I'm going to say, you know, drum roll please, I'm going to say, um, you know, I'm very particular, I need clean mud. You know, and, she, and I'm sure the person's going to look at me and go, oh, yeah, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> Hilarious, Mark. <laughs> See, I'm going to be really good at being that dad when my kids are teenagers. You know, dad, tell the Calistoga joke again. Ha ah, ha, hilarious. Um, but it is a little, I don't know, I don't know anything about mud baths. Maybe I should have done some research before I, you know, brought this up today. But the idea that you'd go, you know, for some kind of purification experience and you go about that with mud is a little bit like what we're doing this morning with this difficult teaching of Jesus. Because we're going to look, I mean, instead of kind of, there's really no way to dance around this one today. So instead of even trying to do something like that, we're going to go right at, right at the issue. You know, we're going to go the direction you don't expect to go in order to maybe come through it where you want to end up. Where maybe, and maybe even if you're in a process of belief or you're not anywhere close to crossing the line of faith with the Christian faith this morning, and nonetheless there may be a place, a spiritual, kind of place that you want to end up that I, I would argue through looking at the mud today, looking at the, the difficulties this morning, that you might actually find that you come out of the end of that um, with a, sort of a description and a possible kind of a life that you've always sensed an echo of or sensed a whisper of, but never really known who was behind the voice. Um, that's my hope this morning. And we'll do it by looking at two things that I'm saying you need, or two of your needs. The first is your need for judgment. Or sorry, let me rephrase that. Your need for the judgment of the cross. And secondly, your need for the division of the cross. So we're going right at the most difficult words in this difficult saying. The first word is fire. And all the commentaries will tell you this is an allusion to judgment, divine Judgment, often spoken of in Scripture and in the time of Jesus, as fire. And Jesus is saying, I mean, what a, what a, what a scary thing to try to process and imagine. This Jesus who I might follow, this Jesus who I might center my life around, is saying, I come to bring judgment. And our minds go all kinds of places. One of the places that that our minds go with the issue of judgment is we really separate the issue. We unnecessarily separate judgment from justice. And so when we talk about judgment, we say things like, oh, that person is so judgmental, critical, you know, they're, they're kind of getting into my personal business and suggesting, you know, kind of shoving their ethical, moral pill down my throat and, and in, 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 they're so judgmental. So we have this great aversion to judgment when talked about that way. But in the very next breath, I mean, literally, we'll do this sometimes. So the very next thing out of our mouth is part of the conversation. Maybe that was too intense, so we kind of lighten it up and we say uh, uh, something about, you know, some sort of issue that's going on in the paper, or some current events issue of justice that we're either really excited about or really disappointed about. On the one hand, in our personal life, we don't want judgment to make its way into our life in an uncomfortable way that that impresses upon us right and wrong, which is 
also, it turns out, what is also involved in justice, where in some other issue that's maybe a little more politically correct, we desire greatly for, on a grand scale, for right and wrong to be not only suggested, but often enforced. Because there's a collective sense in this sphere, in this area over here, that we need to affirm this over against that. So I just want to bring up that sort of um, disconnect that we can sometimes have and, and maybe suggest that when you think of the word judgment, that you bring those together a little bit and that justice kind of is the umbrella over all of those things. Um, I picture, you know, you say, why is Jesus saying, I, you know, I, oh, that the fire would be kindled. Picture Jesus living in a world just like you and I live in. And the evil of this world impressing upon him in a way that even you and I don't understand and don't grasp. But I mean, even to, to, to look at Jesus as just a per, another person living in this world, he would have maybe seen the bruises on the neighbor two doors down who was regularly beat by her husband. Maybe even heard some of the sobs or the arguments and the anger late at night. Jesus, I can imagine being near, him being nearby a conversation of some impoverished family who, who have just been taken by a traveling shady salesman who took their last kind of bit of savings through some kind of scam and just the grief and the sorrow of that injustice. Or of, I can picture Jesus hearing a rumor that turns out over time to not be a rumor, but a true kind of news story of the day of some angry, jealous relative swooping in and, and kidnapping a five-year-old and never returning and leaving a family just in sorrow for the rest of their lives. The evil of this world just impressing upon Jesus in those kind of regular ways that you and I experience it and so many more. And Jesus, I picture him as he says, oh, oh, that there would be fire and that it were kindled already. I picture Jesus, um, his, his eyes filling up with tears, the anger welling up inside of him. It's just what any of us would look at and say, the world shouldn't look that way. This stuff, should, this stuff is awful. The atrocities, the horror. You know, we uh, watch the State of the Union address and see a family sitting up in the balcony. The camera pans to them during one of the applause moments. It's a family minus uh, the nine-year-old girl who was senselessly shot in Tucson. We see, you know, if you're like a local news person, which I, I hate the local news. I'm sorry. I know this is pod, podcasted, so I'm kind of making a blunder there by saying that out loud. Um, <laughs> Sorry, those of you who work in the news industry locally. Um, but, you know, local news can be really annoying. But, you know, if you've been kind of channel surfing and seen it lately, that, you know, the 2003 Corolla being pulled out of the canal. And uh, every time I see the Amber Alert sign or saw it over the last two weeks, uh, having children myself, um, it brought me every time, brings me every time to the verge of tears and sorrow 
and then to hear the police officers saying that as much as they want to hope that the chances are the bodies will be found down the canal a little ways. Um, you know, we live with these kind of things. We live in this kind of world, and it's overwhelming sometimes. It's overwhelming to imagine at a funeral where people are mourning in a whole other part of the world, a suicide bomber plants himself and 50 more people die in the midst of their grief. And then to hear stories like the, about the atrocities in the Congo, and you just don't want to believe that there's ever such a thing as putting these two words together, mass rape. And, and then not only that, oh, you hear that once, but you know they, they got a beat on that and that's not happening anymore. But then to hear another news story in December after hearing one earlier in the year and just... And you just kind of sometimes, the darkness of this world and the pain of, and the, the raw effect of evil sometimes is so unbearable. And Jesus feels all of this and he says, oh, how I wish that judgment could come, the purifying fire of judgment that just burns away the evil of this world. And we say, yes, there's a part of us, we hate this teaching, but we also say, yes, please do something because we can't do enough. We try. I mean... We would love, you know, we would love in some sense to do something really tangible. We, we would love, we'd probably jump on it if there was a, a cheek swab. You know, you have cheek swabs for doing DNA now. Why can't there be a cheek swab for the level of evil in your life, you know? And, and we just make everyone do a cheek swab and then, you know, just round up the ones that score too high. <laughs> I thought that was kind of clever and funny. Sorry. <laughs> Glad some of you did as well. But, or, you know, the evil breathalyzer, whatever you want to do, but wouldn't it be nice to have some kind of way of just rounding up the the bad guys? And as, you know, that's not politically correct to say, and those kind of efforts aren't, (laughs) obviously, and those kind of efforts don't end up in very good places. We know about that. Um, but in some ways, even though that's not politically correct, a lot of us put our hopes in things that essentially we're attempting to do that, to get rid of the bad guys, to, to get rid of bad education, to get rid of bad parenting, to get rid of bad media influences, to get rid of bad laws, to get rid of bad systems, to get rid of the access that certain fairly bad people have to bad weapons. And yet... You open up the paper and how's that? How are we doing? You know, how are all those efforts where we find ourselves still just wanting something more definitive to happen? Do you notice that Jesus is saying, Oh, that I wish this were kindled, but I am in under constraint. Like, in other words, he's not. He he can do something about it. I mean, Jesus could do the cheek swab or the breathalyzer. I mean, he could do a Star Trek thing where they just beam away. You know, they just kind of vanish, the evil people. But he doesn't. In fact, he says he's under constraint until what? Something that he's about to say. But if you think about it, maybe we, maybe in all of our desperation to have something answer this problem of, of evil in this world and of injustice... Maybe we need the same thing that he's saying he's waiting for, that he's patient enough and courageous and brave enough to wait for a greater solution than anything we could come up with to fix a broken world. And what is it? He says in verse 50. uh, Wrong page. Verse 50. 
but I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. A baptism. And Christians, you know, this feels kind of cryptic today. You read a passage like this and it feels like, what on earth is he talking about? The early church knew exactly immediately as they passed this story on after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they knew exactly what he was talking about. He's talking about not the nice teachings of Jesus that might make you a better person. I know we all love those. He's talking about the actions and the events at the end of his life that end up being the most important thing, the most central thing through which God is putting back together the world. His death on the cross. His baptism. Where the fire of judgment doesn't fall out there on all the bad guys. The fire of judgment falls on Jesus. None of us would have made this up. And in this, Jesus comes out with the solution and God comes out with a solution for our world and for the evil of our world that, that is none of us would have made up and is better than anything you and I would have come up with because, you know, cheek swab and a breathalyzer. Basically, our best efforts are to round up the bad factors and the bad people and to do kind of damage control as much as we can. Jesus does, God does something through Jesus that is so much more comprehensive. He does not corral the evil folks, imprison the kidnappers, terrorists, and abusers. He doesn't create some sort of spiritual Guantanamo. Instead, he draw, rather than that, rather than corral and separate and segregate and put away, he gathers together a new people who are forgiven now through what he has done. The judgment on, on evil humanity falls on Jesus so that we might have forgiven sinners making up the new humanity, the new creation of God in this world. So instead of banishing bad guys, he gathers a group. And it's a group that in the end, to some of our dismay, ends up including former bad guys. Former, even some former abusers. Even some, some former religious hypocrites who've been hurtful maybe to some of you in your journeys. Even uh, probably an occasional former kidnapper or two. We need the judgment of the cross as it comes to us through Jesus. You also need the division of the cross. With the division, I mean, this is, again, very, very difficult to swallow. You need the division that comes in the cross of Jesus? What am I talking about? That's exactly what I want to answer first. What is it? Secondly, how it comes to us. What is the division of the cross? First of all, the what of the cross is very important because most of us get it wrong. What is, or what is the dividing factor that comes, that makes a difference between the Christian path and another path? Between the person standing up and joining a church and the person, um, who would never do something like that? What is the, what is the division? And most of us, uh, really, most people most of the time assume this. Even if you're sitting in church all your life, assume that what Christianity, Christianity offers you is a new morality, a new set of rules. You know, and, and now, you know, I've just gotten to a point in life where I really want to take that seriously. 
and I want to own up to this new Christian set of rules that I'm going to try really hard to understand and live out and grow in to find some kind of spiritual assurance. That is not at the heart of why people are standing up here today. That is not at the heart of the Christian faith. Although, you know, as much as, sure, people who, who make the step into the Christian faith, out of that will blossom uh, all kinds of ways in which, surprise, surprise, you let God have sway in parts of your lives that used to be your private, closed-off area that no one could touch. Sure, that'll happen, but what is at the heart of it? Underneath that, before all that, is one thing that is the, div- the divisive factor in the Christian faith, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's not, are you... Have you been given a new morality? It's, have you been given, have you received the forgiveness of God? Have you received the forgiveness of God? And what that involves, it's very, very difficult. It's not as easy maybe as it even sounds because it involves admitting that you need it. In receiving the forgiveness of God and allowing it to trickle down into all the deeper recesses of the brokenness of your heart, the mess of your heart. In the end, someone who journeys on the Christian faith for a while becomes comfortable actually no longer just using that word evil for what's out there. But even over time, eventually this can happen where you begin to look at your own heart and you say, oh, my, my, my wayward heart, my divided heart. We're divided even right down the middle spiritually. Even if you're journeying on the Christian faith, you say, oh, my evil heart, that in one, sen- one minute I'm sensing a glimpse of God's grace and maybe raising my hand in song and singing praises to God. And then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm, I'm just once again jealous and, and sud- ever so subtly speaking things about a coworker or a family member who's really irritating and, and just making sure that they're painted a little bit negatively in this conversation. And that's exactly... What you find is the Christian begins to say, my, my evil heart that needs the forgiveness of God. And in, in becoming a Christian, utilizing Scripture, which is described in this kind of a way. In, in Hebrews 4, verse 12, Scripture is defined like this. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. For most people, some of, a lot of you may be sitting here today, that is terrifying to you. That is a terrifying idea. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. Is that what it means to be a Christian? This is where the how is very important. There's the what of the division of the cross. There's also the how it comes to us, how this forgiveness comes to us and makes its way into our life. If you look at verse 53, I'll just give it away without any um, fanfare. In verse 53, what is the first division that is described? They will be divided. Father against son. Let me say that again. Father against son. And if you've been around... The Christian faith a little while, you, that's, your brain is going somewhere with that already. When Jesus was on the cross, he cries out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in, within God himself, there is God the Father being divided from God the Son 
Father will be divided from son. Why? Why? Why would that happen? The father separated himself from the son, and the son separated himself from the father momentarily so that you could experience never being separated from the God who loves you and wants to live and wants you to live in his presence with the assurance of his forgiveness for the rest of your life. It's very difficult to open yourself fully to this God when you begin to see that the Bible connects God with judgment. I like the John Calvin quote from uh, within the Reformation period, 16th century, very intelligent biblical theologian. He says, Hence arises our wonderful consolation that we perceive judgment to be in the hands of him who has already destined us to share with him the honor of judging. Far indeed is he from mounting the seat of judgment to condemn us. How could our most merciful ruler destroy his people? How could the head scatter its own members? No mean assurance is this, that we shall be brought before no other judgment seat than that of our Redeemer, to whom we must look for salvation. So let me ask you a question. What is left to stop you today from approaching the God of judgment in order to receive the grace that he offers you. Um, when the Bible, Especially when the Bible confidently tells you that God's judgment comes to you now after it has already been processed through the cross so that it comes to you not as condemnation but as an invitation. It's a little bit like when I, I had to drive, I don't drive that often, but I had to drive out to Lincoln several times last week. And, um, and this always kind of trips me up when you're coming back into Sacramento from that area down Highway 80. And you have to go to the right in order to go left. There's a split between the Crosstown and I-80 to go to San Francisco. And I'm always, always kind of confused and have to really stop and think through which way I want to go because it's so counterintuitive to go off to the right and up when I know that the direction I want to go is to the, on the left-hand side and straight. But in the end, you know, you kind of go up and then you turn and, and you go the right way. It's exactly what this is like this morning. And I hope that you're, in some ways, some of those layers of fear and, and the terrifying nature that you might have in your mind of, of God and the God of judgment. Some of that might be getting sanded away, peeled away, and that you might see that going this way that seems so counterintuitive, you might come out the other side of it knowing a God who wants to embrace you with his love so much that in the end he saw no other solution to the problems of this world, no other solution to the problems of evil than to come himself to create a bridge so that beginning already with your mixed up heart, he might begin putting you back together. He might begin forgiving the evil and the sin that you find yourself in week in and week out. And through, you, through loving you, might propel you out into a life of loving others, of fighting evil, of bringing about more justice in the city, of serving the poor, of loving your neighbor as yourself. Will you pray with me, please? God of grace, help us with the counterintuitive steps that each of us need to take, and perhaps you're already very much prompting us to take to receive your grace and forgiveness.
We ask that you shower us with your love and grace, especially through this time now of communion, um, that we may know you as gracious and good 